0: listening to the best of the Martha Zoller show. To hear the full show each day, tune in to AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN or log in to access and click the listen live button from 9 to 11 Monday through Friday. It's always great to be with my next guest Marjorie Taylor Greene. She has a new book that's coming out on Tuesday called of course mtg welcome back to the program marjorie how are you oh
1: i'm doing great marcia it's so good to talk to you
0: again thank you well i tell you i got a little advance uh, read of it i thought it was very well written it was easy to read it starts with where you got to start right which was your first day in congress and what happened in the next few days what led you to write
1: this book well, as you know, Martha, uh, you've known me for, for a few years now, and ever since I've entered into Congress, the mainstream media created a character of me that doesn't exist, and they have put me in headlines uh, in unbelievable ways, and my life has been a wild ride ever since. And I, I really wanted to write a book that. It gives people my own words, uh, my own beliefs, who I really am, uh, my policy, the policies I believe in, and with intimate stories behind the scenes um, and, and just everything in between. So I'm so excited for my book, MTG, that comes out tomorrow, Tuesday, November 21st, and I really hope people pick up a copy at mtgbook.com.
0: Well, and what I what you said, I think, is really important because I know in our conversations from the first time I spoke with you and in our interviews that we've had, we've had great substantive discussions. We've talked about issues. You were thoughtful and laid and played out as far as those issues are concerned. Uh, you did have kind of a trial by fire, though, your introduction into the Congress. Um, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, uh, you know, a lot of the stories are written in the chapters. Um, gosh, sworn in on January 3rd, 2021, the next day, uh, flew with President Trump on Air Force One, uh, back to Dalton, Georgia, for a rally to try to save our Senate seat. Um, and then January 6th happened, uh, which just took me by complete surprise. Uh, my whole plan was to object, you know, by the Constitution against Joe Biden's electoral college votes. And uh, I tell the whole story of, of where I was on January 6th. Um, the congressman, I named the one that, that helped me, made me feel safe and, and helped me get out of there because I couldn't even find my way back to my own office at that point uh, in the many halls and tunnels uh, in the Capitol complex. And, and even I go into the story about the visiting the January 6th defendants that were held in solitary confinement uh, just so so horrifically um that i visited them in november of 2021 when no one no one had seen them or talked to them and so these are the stories i'm i'm excited to share i even open up a, have a chapter about jewish space lasers a phrase i never said um but the media has slandered me with it and you know unfortunately it's it's misinformed people about me that Tragically, some, some people in America think I'm anti-Semitic. I'm absolutely not. I, I fully support Israel and, and the Jewish people. And uh, this, the, the book was a, very fun for me to write. Um, I even tell about a, a sad story in my life uh, that, that, that was very difficult for me to go through um, when the media was basically crucifying me every single day. Uh, in the headlines, and and that's a story I, I felt was important to share. And and I, I don't know if you've how much you've read through it, Martha. But I'm really happy that you got a copy and and you've already been reading it.
0: Yeah, I AJ was great in getting it to me uh, last night, and I've been scrolling through it since then. And you know, I've known him for years and years, uh, and I always know that that if he sends me something, it's going to be good. And that's why uh, that's why I always. I always take a look at his emails, but I'm glad you brought up um, the Jewish space lasers because this past week we had a uh, very peaceful um, gathering in support of Israel that was anywhere from 100,000 to 300,000 people that was peaceful on the mall, and then the next night there was a violent protest outside of the DNC headquarters that got very little press coverage, and you know, in, in my view, if you believe people on January 6th who, who breached the Capitol and disobeyed police and came in should be charged, these people are were doing the same thing. They were breaching, breaching uh, doorways. They were fighting with police. They were uh, disobeying. They were being violent. And this double standard that we see related to this is just really shocking.
1: It is. Martha, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, that So the Capitol Police set the number uh, for the pro-Israel rally this past week at 290,000 to close to maybe 300,000. It was one of the biggest uh, events that Washington, D.C. has seen since President Trump's um, inauguration, and, and, and especially since January 6, uh, 2021. It And it was so peaceful. There was not one uh, outbursts. No one was violent that the Jewish people there and, and all the Christians and many supporters that came, they were the most delightful people, just praising America, praising freedom, praising Israel, praising life. Uh, you know, basically human rights. Uh, it, it was, it was such a joy to be around all of them. And then last night, the Capitol complex goes on lockdown, absolutely on lockdown because of these, um, pro-Hamas. They're calling themselves ceasefire now, uh, but I actually have some information for the listeners of your show about them. On October 18th, just last month, uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, gave a speech to a large group of pro-Palestinian, the group called Ceasefire Now in Washington, launched them onto a march. There were close to, I think it was around 1,500 of them, marched on our Capitol complex illegally occupied the cannon uh, house office building which is where my office is um burst into multiple uh house and senate hearings and and shut congress down there is no difference between october 18th and january 6th absolute no difference well since they were occupying um and the capitol police were arresting them there were there were over 300 arrested and as they were trying to arrest them and get them out Uh, My staff was able to take pictures of some of the organizers as they were texting each other on their cell phones. And so we captured images of their chat messages on their cell phones. And one of the groups uh, is called Global Intifada. Intifada means Arab uprising or jihad. So this group is an actually jihadist group, and everyone knows what that means. That is literally Islamic terrorism. And they came in and illegally occupied the the office building that my office is in, Canon. And I, I questioned Christopher Ray on the Homeland Security Committee that I serve on this past week in Congress. And I showed him a picture of the organizer's cell phone, showed him the chat message and the name Global Intifada, which was on, on the cell phone, easily read. And I even showed him that in the group message was Katrina Bleakley, or Blakely, who is the lead attorney at the Southern Poverty Law Center, is involved in this. Um, showed him the headlines uh, that Rashida Tlaib had just been uh, outed for being in a Facebook group that is linked with Hamas and terrorism, and he knew nothing about it. Nothing, Martha. He it was it was unbelievable to me. But this man is obsessed with tracking down uh, people that walked in the Capitol on January sixth, twenty. 20, 2021 almost four years ago uh and and so this this is we we have some very serious problems in our country and he, we were discussing in that committee hearing the the actual real risk of terrorism that we are we are facing today in our nation because of our open border with 1.8 million gotaways and and we believe there's thousands of terrorists here in our country right now but they actually came in our office building and occupied, and Capitol Police had to arrest them and throw them out on October 18th. And those were the same people that were attacking the DNC last night that the poor Capitol Police and Washington Police were fighting and fighting and fighting. And, Martha, you said it right. The mainstream media didn't show a single ounce of the violence. They only, if they did show it, they only showed the peaceful, like, you know, quiet parts.
0: Well, and you you mentioned the the crowd, the number the Capitol Police said of 290,000. And I, I will note that all of those people were without masks. OK, so they were yes. not they were not trying to hide who they were. They were proudly showing who they were. And that's what peaceful protest is about. Peaceful protest. I don't care what you say. If you are peacefully protesting, I will fight to the death for you to even say things I disagree with. OK, but when you get beyond that and you're 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 damaging you're you're destroying you're disobeying police then you lose me okay so so that's that's my line it's a hard line there so look i know we only have a couple of minutes left with you we're talking to marjorie taylor green it's mtgbooks.com right marjorie is that the, the the website yes
1: Yes, mtgbook.com. You can order your copy, get one for yourself, grab one for uh, family members, pop them in stockings. They're great Christmas gifts. Um, But yes, mtgbook.com. So we got two minutes left with you. What's next for you
0: and what's next for the GOP?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, here in Georgia, in our own home state, Martha, we have got to really focus on... Uh, getting people fired up and giving them reason to vote and giving them hope for the future. A lot of people I talk to, and even I feel this way myself sometimes, look at all the problems we face as a nation and, and people are just feeling like they don't even want to vote anymore because they don't feel like it's worth it. But my one of my last chapters in my book is is an exact, it gives every reason why people need to get fired up and vote and, and make sure that we stay, you know, completely in tune with our political uh, processes, holding our representatives and elected officials accountable to the words that they promise their constituents and their voters. And and also get fired up about voting and encourage people to vote because that's that's our constitutional right. And, and I give all the reasons why I believe it's so important. Um, you know, you, you always want to hope for the future. Never lose hope because even when things seem impossible, nothing's impossible with God. And I, and I really, truly believe that, and I share that at, at, towards the end of my book.
0: Marjorie Taylor Green. the website is mtgbook.com. We appreciate you being with us today. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and thank you. Oh, Thank you, Martha.
1: Happy Thanksgiving.
2: It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN.
0: It is the Martha Zoller Show. There continues to be some hope for a hostage deal. It is very clear that Israel is saying, unless it is a significant number of hostages, Uh, there's not going to be this one or two that you get a ceasefire for. So uh, there is some talk about it. I heard uh, the Israeli spokesperson for Benjamin Netanyahu this morning say they feel like they are close to an agreement, but they've been there for about a week uh, saying they're close to an agreement. So they're hoping for better things. Uh, Mac Parnell is joining me right now. He is uh, with Faith and Freedom uh, Georgia, and uh, he just got back from Israel. Mac, welcome to the program.
2: Martha, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. And 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 just to, to to put a point on that, the hostage situation in Tel Aviv, which is their largest city, there's something called Captive Square, and in Captive Square is where it, it's this makeshift memorial and uh, a, a gathering place for families and for people that want to come and remember and advocate and to to work to to release those hostages. So we were in Captive Square at captive square in tel aviv and we met with the families of a couple of those being held uh ramon's cousin uh ramon is someone who's being uh held uh by by in, in gaza or at least they think so because that's another thing that's uh in, in war times usually there's when it's two normal combat combatants they would there would be red cross visits there would be Status updates, you would know where they are and, and things like that, but Hamas is just flat out not doing that. And on top of that, uh, the, the new segment that mentioned that Hamas might not have them all, that, that's because there's a bunch of other paramilitary groups, such as the Palestinian Islamic Jihad and other groups like that, that it's just so spread out. But they are hopeful, uh, the hostages' families are hopeful. Uh, when we were when we were on the ground, it was 240 hostages. Unfortunately, uh, the number is now 238 because there were two bodies recovered: an 85-year-old lady and a about a 20-year-old soldier were recovered uh, uh, from from Gaza. And, and in addition to that, the IDF released video yesterday showing Shifa Hospital, which has so so uh, been in the news so much of you know people saying it's it's inhumane for Israel to. to to have to deal with that in a military fashion. But they released security footage from the hospital showing that two Thai, not even Israeli, two Thai hostages were brought to Sheepa Hospital. So there's a lot more information to uncover, but the people are hopeful that they will get their family members back.
0: So we're talking to Mac Parnell from Faith and Freedom, Georgia. And Mac, tell us how this trip came about that you just took.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Martha. So this originally was a trip. We had had it planned for about a year. It was going to be a strategic briefing, but also the pilgrimage-type trip where you visit the sites uh, and and get to know the Holy Land both from a strategic perspective, militarily, but also religiously, you know, as Christians, uh, walking walking in the spots where Jesus walked. Uh, And so we had this planned for about a year. Uh, This is what I did in a previous job, full-time, I was the I was the regional outreach director for the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, and this was kind of the first trip that Faith and Freedom had planned with, with national leaders, uh, and, and so we had it planned for a year, and then obviously October 7th happened, and it got thrown for a loop, and airlines canceled flights, uh, hotels were closed, restaurants were closed, and it just didn't look like we were going going to be able to go, and we had a Zoom call with our, our tour group operator, and they said, we're sorry, we just don't feel that we can uh, you know, meet the expectation that, that you would have because of, of all the various different uh, challenges. And we said, you know what? We, we're not in. We're not going for restaurants. We're not going to, to stay in the nicest hotels. We're going to show support. And so, if there's any way possible for us to go and have these briefings, and it turned from a pilgrimage trip to really a uh, a solidarity trip where we met with the IDF, we met with the the Israeli Defense Forces, we met with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, we met with the captives' families, we met with families of those. that— uh, lost soldiers uh, in in this war, and it was a uh, it was it was inspiring for us. But it was I, I, surprisingly it was very encouraging for the Israelis we met. We had one lady, in fact, who said, "You know, before this, we always knew Americans were our friends, but after this, after the talking about America's response to October seventh, but after this, we know America is family." And that was that was truly. Uh, inspiring to us and, and, it, and it filled with us a vigor to come back home and share what we we saw share what we saw in Kafaraza. we went it was a closed military zone and we had to sign a waiver wear, wear flak jackets and helmets uh and and we visited one of the the, the villages the kibbutz uh far that was hardest hit i think 58 out of 400 residents were brutally murdered on october 7th uh, and, and martha i know you have a mixed audience so i'm not going to go into too many of the details but Almost any headline you you hear, uh, it's ten times worse than that. And yet, with all this destruction, standing in the house where a, a family of five was murdered, and walking out of that house, and I see those brave IDF soldiers, in the midst of all this heartbreak, there was that inspiration that they are still standing, they are still fighting. So while uh, Hamas sought to destroy Israel, Israel is still standing. They're, they're reeling. And, and there's heartbreak, but Israel is going to stay strong, and they're going to finish the job.
0: You know, I just uh, finished reading. I've been kind of, you know, refreshing my my knowledge, you know, related to all of this because, you know, I've studied it for a long time. But I just finished reading um, a book, Israel, A Simple uh, Guide to the Most Misunderstood Country on Earth. And it's basically just kind of a recap history uh, that was written by Noah um, uh Noah Tishby is her name and she wrote this book in 2021 and of course the history is really good because it's a it's a well-written history that anybody could understand you know what I mean it's it's something that tells both sides of the story all of that but some of the things in the final chapters that she predicted were were potentially could happen related to Hamas related to uh, uh, the, the conflict that we're in today. I mean, we're really prophetic. I mean, it was, it, even though Israel didn't see this coming on October 7th, the, the situation was ripe, if you will, for this kind of problem, because there is such misunderstanding. The Israelis do not occupy Gaza, but did not occupy Gaza. They are fighting now to eliminate Hamas and they're in Gaza, but they had let uh, they have let Gaza govern itself, and they basically ran it into the ground instead of turning it into what could be Singapore. I mean, this is land that's on the Mediterranean Sea, Mac. I mean, it could have been something great, but Hamas, in their desire to kill Jews, they did not care what happened to the Palestinians on the way to doing that.
1: That's
2: right, and I think something that's almost the most telling is, do you know where the leadership of Hamas is? Anywhere, anywhere city. but Gaza. They're they're in Qatar. They're in Qatar, yeah. uh, and and that's another thing we're going to have to address is you see all this mess that's on college campuses, and Republicans, rightfully so, have done a lot of work to expose uh, Confucius Institutes and, and Chinese Communist money that are on college campuses. Uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to do some investigation and look into Qatari money and the the nefarious uh, the nefarious. Uh, entanglements with Iran And to put it, and to put it in perspective uh, So you talked about the threat from Hamas So uh, let, Let's imagine the terrorist Terrorist organizations are, are a major league baseball team And so you have Single A, double A, triple A And you have of course the major league Baseball team So for, for, for Atlanta we have The Rome Braves, that's the single A We have the Gwinnett Braves, that's the triple A Really Hamas Was the single A affiliate and, and the Major League Baseball team of terror, for lack of a better term, was Iran. All, Iran, it's all part of, a, they're all in Iran's orbit. They get funded by Iran, and it comes back to Iran. But really, Hamas was the single-A team. So the destruction that the single-A team uh, was able to do is, is nothing short of amazing. Putting the talk in News Talk, it's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN.
0: Justin Gibney is with me right now. He's a pastor, and he has a podcast where he talks about really important issues um, that are out there every day. And he also uh, was a Democratic National Committee um, delegate at one point in time. So we appreciate and we welcome you back to the program. Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving week planned.
3: Hey, Martha. Great to be here. I'm excited for Thanksgiving. How about yourself?
0: Me too. Yeah, we've got the family coming in, and we're going to be, we're going to have a lot of fun. So it's going to be great, and it's what it ought to be, right? It's it's getting together with family. There's there's no expectations really on Thanksgiving. It's not like all this gift giving, and I think it's actually the best holiday.
3: (laughs) That we agree on.
0: Yes, we do. Listen, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about messaging, and you know what people think versus what's really happening. And you were a delegate in which which convention were you a delegate for the DNC? I
3: was a delegate in uh twenty twenty and um twenty sixteen.
0: Okay. So it was an interesting time to be a delegate, that's for sure. Um I think that you know there was a lot of talk about the last election and Democrats did do well in the last election. I think that the they've overplayed Kentucky a little bit because I think a incumbent the news is if an incumbent governor gets beaten okay it's not so much if an incumbent governor wins so i think the fact that kentucky stayed with state with uh andy Bashir, who was very well known in the state was good for democrats but it was also just n- not that unexpected uh, but there was also a lot of talk about some of the life issues that were on the ballot and um, you and i have talked before that that the messaging around life issues is challenging because I think more people agree than disagree on that issue, but they get put into different camps. What are your thoughts about that?
3: Yeah, I definitely think it's a moment to regroup and far as far as the as far as the life conversation goes. I think you're right. Um, I think a lot of people want some you know want some limits of have that value the sanctity of life, but I think what has been pitted up against is just individual liberty um you know are you are are people going to tell you what to do and so i think for those of us who are pro-life uh we need to again regroup and start thinking about how this pro-life message connects to other issues as well i think one of the problems is people say okay you know you know they may be pro-life when it comes to birth but how does that connect to everything else and is it a consistent ethic and i think we need to make that ethic more consistent and remove it from this uh, contrast with individual freedom, because I don't think that's the right frame to put it in.
0: Yeah, I I tend to agree with you about that. That's one thing I think that we're doing a better job of in Georgia, that even though, even though we have the heartbeat bill, which even though, and I am, um, was part of the administration that helped to pass that at that time. I still believed it was a little too restrictive and that really what end, ended up overturning Roe v. Wade was the Dobbs bill from Mississippi, which was a 15-week limit, which was a much more moderate uh, uh, point of view related to limits than either the Alabama or um, Georgia or Florida bill, for that matter. So um, I do think that it was a more reasonable bill that overturned Roe v. Wade. and But what we started doing in Georgia is we have things like you know we've added more services to foster care so that kids don't age out at 18 years old there's more for them up until they're 24 we've done things like betsy's law homes where it's kind of old school maternal homes where if a if a woman decides to keep her baby she can go there and she can get services and she has a roof over her overhead she has meals and yeah. she has up to 18 months after she has that child and even if she has other children, she can stay there uh, if there's a situation um, where she needs that, she don't, where she won't be homeless. We don't want to have homeless people that way. We're doing a better job in Georgia, but we have a lot more work to do. Where are the things that you see in Georgia that we could do better so that we could really be a culture of life, not just a culture of birth?
3: No, that's a great question, and I do acknowledge uh, some of the things that the administration has done uh, in that regard, and appreciate it. I think the big one uh, that I hear, especially in democratic circles and that I agree with, is this health care access. And I think there's been some movement towards there as of late, but it's not what it should be. We know there's been hospital closings, and, and we can talk about maternal mortality in, in certain demographics. Though That's the issue that I think people see a huge contradiction Uh, from a lot of people who are more conservative uh, on this issue Uh, if we care about life how does that tie to making sure that everybody has access and also that people don't you know have to go completely bankrupt uh when they run into uh, medical issues
0: no you're right about that and and i think what's interesting too is that um, the governor launched, which was very well, I mean, it was awaited for a long time. I was waiting for it. This um, Healthcare Pathways, which was supposed to be our answer to expanding Medicaid. And they were expecting, you know, tens of thousands of people to apply, and only about 1,300 people have applied to date and and you know i'm i've been it's really surprised me justin because it's a it is exactly what people said they wanted that it was something that would be for people that i don't even like the term working poor but for people that are working but still can't but they don't qualify for medicaid and they are um you know they don't make enough money to pay what you have to pay for for health care premiums it seemed to me like a perfect match but for whatever reason i don't know if they didn't put enough money behind the rollout i don't know what it is but it was a flop and even last week i had a friend of mine that was in the hospital that it turned out that he did not have health insurance so i was able to connect him up with healthcare pathways and it looks like he's going to be able to get the coverage he needs and it might even be retroactive so that it it doesn't do what you're talking about um but but it took me calling, like, the commissioner of the department and, and pushing. Do you know what I mean? And, and yeah. you know, everybody's not Martha Zahler or Justin Gibney where we're not going to just let things lay, right? We're going to – everybody doesn't have that kind of access, and, and and they should, really. They should be able to get these things. It should be easy and seamless. But I can't figure out why that program just didn't take off because it seemed – like a good one but it it nobody knew about it and they didn't apply.
3: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I'd like to I have to look a little closer at the marketing, at the way that it's being talked of, talked about in medical circles, uh things of that nature and, and you know what people may see as some of the pluses and minuses, but I would certainly say there's a lot of room for us as a nation and as a state in particular to grow when it comes to healthcare access and I think In my opinion, it should be pro-life people who are leading that conversation because that adds into the, the, the whole conversation about abortion and where people think we're coming from.
0: Well, and I I did have, I had a text message from somebody um, that uh, said that they believe life begins at conception, that even though the heartbeat bill was a stepping stone, we are still murdering the unborn every day. Life starts at conception. And, you know, that's really where I am. I believe that life begins at conception. But I also believe that, you know, I kind of agree with Nikki Haley that it's a numbers game. You know, if you don't have the numbers then you've got to deal with what you've got, which is that you could put some kind of restriction. Most of the Western world is a first trimester kind of restriction. And then you have some exceptions beyond that because because you might find out at four or five months that you have some drastic situation that you have to deal with. I still, as a person, as a Christian person, as a believing person, I still don't believe that's right. And I say that, I say that, advisedly, uh, but I do understand that I live in a world where those individual choices are what most people want. Does that make
3: sense? Yeah, I mean, we, know absolutely. Anytime, you know, from a, a strategy level, we, you know, we definitely have to deal with uh, the reality of it, even if we want more. I think some of these all or nothing efforts that we've seen have actually hurt the overall cause. The truth of the matter is we live in a pluralistic society. People have differing beliefs Uh, And we have to be able to persuade people towards what we believe. And that doesn't always happen all at once. So, you know, if if we want to compel people or mandate it, that's one thing. But if we actually want to persuade people, sometimes that does take time. And it's not going to be an all-or-nothing proposition, even though, you know, you and I agree that uh, life starts at conception.
0: Well, and, you know, I I am so thankful that I had great parents that talked to me about the tough decisions I was going to have to make as an adult on a wide variety of things, not just the life issue, but that was part of it and they were They were very um, open and available, and I could discuss anything with them without fear of of retribution really and and i and I know now how blessed I was to have that because. You know, there's I was able to bring that towards to my children, too. I mean, you know, sometimes I would embarrass them, but but they were able to talk to me. They knew they could come to me even and come to their dad to be able to do that. So it's also about, you know, repairing the family, Justin, because that's really the core of all this. And that really has very little to do with government that has more to do with heart,
3: you know, I think you're absolutely right, and it's interesting you say that. I'm I'm at a point in writing my book where I was, I was talking about how important the family is and that it's the foundation of, of most of these conversations. I mean, po- politics and government and all that stuff should be downstream for the individual when it comes to uh, a family. And, 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 and we need to get back there. Uh, it's it's not going to be easy, but we need, I think, even our economic policies should be uh, family-oriented instead of focusing on individuals or um or you know, uh, really large corporations.
0: Absolutely, Justin Gibney. Where where can people find you?
3: You can find me on the Church Politics podcast, and you can get that on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get podcasts at. Or you can check me out on social media at Justin E Gibbony.
0: It's always great to have you, and happy Thanksgiving. Take care, Mark. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.